We've been in the book, and we've, we're currently we did chapter two last week, chapter one and two, and um, uh, you know, and on it's the author of Hebrew has been exhorting and encouraging the the Jewish the Jewish Christians that are facing persecution, and they're on the verge of falling away from the faith in Jesus Christ. So there's a lot of Christians that he's writing to that are Jewish, that are like that have been converted, but they're like on this verge of like, hey, should I go back to Judaism? Uh, there's a lot of persecution being a Christian. It's not easy. So they're on the verge of going back. And um, this author, who is unknown, is uh, exhorting them and encouraging to stay stay the course, um, stay you know, vigilant and, and uh, hold tight to Jesus. And, uh, and I say he or she because we don't know who the author is. Uh, and uh, I, was, I was doing some research in the book, and there's a woman by the, I think she's a theologian by the name Ruth Hoppins, and she argues that it's, not just possible, but it's probable, she says, that Priscilla from the book of Acts and um, in Paul's uh, letters um, can very well be the author of Hebrews. Um, I never, I didn't read the book. She has a, she has a book called Priscilla or something, and I don't know, but, but it, you, know, you know, there are people out there that uh, it can actually be a woman that is writing this book of Hebrews. Nobody knows. Right? No, it's, there's no consensus. And so it can very well be a woman, and if it is a woman, you know, like, yeah, you know, like, it's awesome. She'd probably be the you know, like, you know, one of the first, um, the first author, a female author in the New Testament. But, um, you know, this author is exhorting and trying to convince the persecuted Christians to hold on to Jesus. Like, hold fast to Jesus. Jesus is amazing. Jesus is great, right? He's great. You know, like, like the Tony the Tiger. He's great. That's what, like, this author is trying to say. Like, dude, Jesus is better than anything and everything. And the writer does this. But comparing Jesus first to the prophets of the Old Testament, like very right at the beginning, he's like, you know, you know, in the past God spoke to you through prophets, but now He has spoken through His Son. And so, um, and he's saying that He's greater than the Old Testament prophets. He's greater than angels. We talked about it last week that Jesus is greater than the angels. And this week in chapter three, the writer compares Jesus with Moses, and he and he says that Jesus is greater than Moses. Now, this is a point of controversy to any Jew. Because in Jewish tradition, Moses and then Elijah were considered the greatest figures of all time in their in their history, right? It's a it's a theocracy, so their history is their religion, right? And so if it was like if you're a Bulls fan, just like Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, right? Like nobody better, nobody greater, right? These are the the two figures that truly like has been the the main focus of their history and their religion. And we see this in the Transfiguration in the Bible. You guys know about the Transfiguration. Uh, the Synoptic Gospels, Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they have this thing called the Transfiguration that happened. It's recorded in all three books. And it's where Jesus takes the inner circle of Jesus. He takes um, Peter, John, and James. It's like the people that Jesus would kind of single out out of his twelve and say, hey, come with me. Take them into special places to like pray and things like that. And they go up to this mountain, the top of this mountain, and all of a sudden, Jesus starts to shine, right? Like, shine! And imagine like, I, I can't imagine what it looks like for somebody to like shine from within them, right? Like we only know like a spotlight. When you go to a play, now they put the spotlight. It wasn't like that. It was like Jesus, sh- he shined. Like the light was coming from him. And then uh, next to him was stood Moses and Elijah. And, um, and it's Jesus, Moses, and Elijah standing before these disciples. And Peter goes up to Jesus and he says, this. he says, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah, right? Now, the word that he uses 
in the word, the Greek word that he uses for tent actually is a word for tabernacle, right? And we know that the tabernacle in Jewish tradition is a place of worship, a place of sacrifice. And so Peter is basically get he gets really excited and he's like, because you know him and James and John, we're here. We can make these tabernacles and basically, you know, you guys can all sit in one and we can all basically worship you guys. Uh, because in Peter's mind and all the Jews, they would consider Moses and Elijah worthy of worship. Right. In their minds, they think like, oh, if, if Elijah appeared to me right now, we would worship him. Right. You know, and, and for them, this is like, you know, in their minds, this is like, yeah, this is Moses, this is Elijah, this is Jesus, this is like the top three, the big three, right? And then the voice of God comes from the clouds and says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And then they fall to their faces and they are terrified and they like, they cry out. And then Jesus says, you know, get up. They get up, get up, and they only see Jesus. Now, I mentioned this because even to Peter, you know, Jesus, this is Peter's Jesus' main man, right? Like he walked on water with Jesus. Peter is like the guy that like is always like in Jesus' face, and Jesus takes him to these special moments and includes him in these special moments. Even to Peter, you know, this this really just close companion of Jesus, Moses and Elijah are comparable to Jesus, right? In his mind. In his mind, it's like Moses and Elijah and Jesus. Yeah, that's like that's the big three. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, that's not it. He said he's saying that 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 Jesus is greater than anyone and anything that can ever be described in history. And so let's read chapter three uh, of Hebrews. Chapter three, I'll start reading it. It says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. He's like, consider Jesus. The apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Jesus, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. Whoa, that's a big fly. If indeed we hold fast to our confession and our boasting and our hope. Let's stop there for a minute, right? The author says that Jesus is worthy of so much more glory than Moses. In the way that the builder of a house receives more glory than the house, right? And if there's a really beautiful house, they'd be like, oh, who built that house? That's an amazing house, right? And, and what the writer is trying to say here is that Moses and Jesus are nowhere on the same level. Right? They're trying, this is the writer trying to convince these Hebrew Jewish people that have put their faith in Jesus. And he's saying Jesus is so much greater than Moses can ever be. They're not even on the same level. Moses was faithful as a servant. Jesus is God. He's the son of God. He created all things. He is faithful over God's house as a son. Right? That's ownership there, right? Right, if I own a house, right, and my son, say Ethan, right, like they're in that house, it's his house too. It belongs to him. It, he, it, it's his house. And so, you know, he's faithful over God's house as a son, and and we are the house that he built. And so, like we have, as the people of God, Jesus is the builder. He's the founder. He's the owner. He's the Lord of this house. And Moses was faithful to testify to the things that would be spoken later. Jesus is the one that everybody was speaking about, right? 
you know, like he's like Moses came to testify for the things that were to come. Jesus is that that one that everybody in history, in their history, was pointing. All of Old Testament, it all points to Jesus, right? You look at all of everything and anything, all the Psalms, you know, all of the prophets, you know, even like you know Leviticus and you know number all of that. It all points to Jesus Christ. He is the one that they were all testifying at, about. He is so much greater than Moses can ever be. So he's making this massive divide, comparing Jesus and Moses and saying, like, they're not even on the same level, right? Jesus is God. And then he writes, uh, starting from verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and then he, he quotes Psalm 95, he says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That's Psalm 95. If you guys want to go back and kind of read through that. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we, sh- we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said, Today, if you hear, the, hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led, led by Moses, and with whom... Was he provoked for for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So after the writer makes this comparison between Moses and Jesus, like this is what Moses did. The people that followed Moses kind of ended up in this predicament, and he kind of goes into it in this way. And he talks about what the people of Israel, when Moses was leading them out of Egypt, what happened to them. And he quotes Psalm 95. Um, And there are a few ideas at play here. But the first idea that really kind of stands out to me is the hardened heart. He talks about the hardened heart. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Because Jesus is so much greater, and because He is who He says He is, don't harden your heart like they did when Moses was leading them. Right? One of the worst things that can have that can happen to us is for us to have a hardened heart. That's my first point. Is one of the worst things that we can have is a hardened heart, because a hardened heart can lead to so many bad things in our lives, and even worse, a lot of times we don't even know that we have a hardened heart before it's too late, right? And I want you guys to understand that in the Bible, when they talk about a hardened heart, right, they're not talking about non-believers and pagans, right? When 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 God talks about a hardened heart, He's not talking about the the Philistines or the the you know the all of the the, the different steens and the the bites that live like, along with the Israelites. He's not talking about all of the the not people of God. He's talking about Israel. When He talks about a hardened heart, He's not talking about all of the non-believers out there. He's talking about us. Talking about about Christians and and the hardness of our hearts that can happen to us. All right, so so 
So just the fact that, you know, you're a believer doesn't mean that you're impervious to a hardening of the heart. A lot of people believe, like, well, if I believe in Jesus, like, you know, I'm, I'm okay, I'm hard. No, you, your heart can get hardened. You can, you can, you can fall away. You can, you know, like, forget about Jesus. You can be led to, by the things of the world. And this is kind of the warning that the, the author of Hebrew is, is pointing at, right? And that's why the Bible tells us very, you know, that it's important for us to guard our hearts. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Guard your heart, protect your heart, alright? Because from your heart is where all of the, the things that happen to you in your life is going to flow from the condition of your heart. Because if you allow your heart to harden, a lot of bad things can flow from your heart. And Jesus tells us, Luke 6.45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. But whatever is in your heart, whatever the condition of your heart is, the life that flows from that heart is going to be what your condition of your heart is going to be. And so if if our hearts are hardened, whatever flows from your life the wellspring of your life will not be good. The writer of Hebrews gives us this example of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness and how they had hardened their hearts. Right? There are these are the if you guys understand, these are the very same people that saw eleven out of this world miracles as they were leaving Egypt. Right? Seriously, if you even saw one of these miracles, you'd be like that was out of this world, right? That was supernatural. That was crazy, right? They saw, they saw 11 of them. They saw 10 plagues that God brings down upon the, the people of Egypt, right? And then they, they saw, see this 11th miracle where God parts an ocean in front of them, right? I say this all the time. We think that the parting of the Red Sea is like parting of a river. No. When you go to the Red Sea, you look at the other side, but you can't see the other side, right? It's like the same thing as when you stand outside of Heaven the beach and you look out at the ocean, you can't see Japan. You know why? Because it's too far, right? In the same way, God split an ocean in front of them. They crossed to the other side. They're liberated. They're saved. And these are the same people that choose to harden their hearts against the Lord. If anybody should keep their hearts tender and loving towards the Lord, it should have been the Israelites, right? They saw these amazing things. They saw the love of God manifested in these amazing miracles. Right, through this man of God, Moses, who leads them, you know, like, is out of this world, and yet, what happens? They harden their hearts. And this isn't like years after, this is literally months, months after they are liberated from the Egyptians and God parts the ocean in front of them, their hearts are already hardened. And it, and it led to them dying in the wilderness. A generation of people died in the wilderness. They wandered the wilderness for 40 years. And the author says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said. So, but one of the things that really is a product of a hardened heart, right? This is my second point. A hardened heart leads to an unbelieving heart. 
When you when your heart gets hard and your affection for God starts to wane, right, it leads to unbelief. And they fall and 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 it causes us to to go down this path that unbelief will bring us into, and it, it can really wreck our lives. Now this is where it gets a little bit real because we have to define unbelief here, right? We have to define unbelief. Most Christians would define unbelief as like, are you a Christian or not, right? And you like, you know, I go up to some guy on the street and it's like, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? I'm like, no, I'm not. From them, right? Or like, you 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 find somebody that's an atheist and like, oh, I don't believe in God at all. Unbelief, right? But do you believe in, you know, like, that's the question. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? You know, and based on that category, we would all be believers here, right? None of us would be struggling with unbelief. But do you know that you can be, you can believe in Jesus and still have unbelief in your heart? Just like the Israelites. They believed in their God. Right? They believed in their God. They believed in Moses. They believed that God could do these things. And they, he did do these things. And so they believed Him as they were leaving Egypt. They saw His amazing miracles. Their unbelief wasn't that they didn't believe that there was a God. It was that belief that they couldn't trust their God. It was a belief that God couldn't meet their needs. Unbelief is belief. Right? Unbelief is the belief that God is not enough. You, you can, you can believe in God, but He is not enough to meet your needs. That's what the Israelites struggled with. I believe in God. I saw Him do those miracles. I saw Him do those things. But I don't believe that He can meet our needs right now as we are wandering in this wilderness. Let's stone Moses and Aaron and let's go back to Egypt. Right? That's literally what they said. Right? They're like in the, on the verge of stoning Moses and Aaron and picking somebody to go back to Egypt and then God speaks, right? And in the same way, we can believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and still have unbelief in our hearts when we start to believe that God can't satisfy us. Right? Jesus can... Get me into heaven, but He can't satisfy my life here on earth. When we start to believe that God's provisions are not enough, when we start to believe that God's timing is not enough, right? We tell God, God, your timing is off, right? And here's the crazy part. The Bible says that unbelief is evil. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So when we start to believe that God can't do what He claims that He can do, we're, we're, we're in a place of evil there, right? We're saying that, God, you're not enough for our lives. I need, I need you, but, but I also need this high-paying job. I need you, but I also need to have this, have this house. I need you, but I also need this relationship. I need you, but I also need all of these things in my life because you're, you're not enough. And we fall into this all the time when we question God's goodness or we question God's power or we question God's ability. And then it leads to us to the, the third point is that unbelief when left unchecked leads to rebellion. The sin of rebellion. You know, We have conversations with Jesus like, I believe in you, Jesus, and I know that I shouldn't do this, but I think it's okay because I think it will make me feel very satisfied. Right? We have conversations like that with God all the time. 
And I really want this Jesus and you're not giving it to me so I'm just going to go and go about it on my own way and on my own understanding. That's the spirit of rebellion. And it remains in our hearts and it continues to lead us down a path where we start to have casual understandings of the Word of God and a casual understanding regarding sin. It leads us on this path where we're like, oh, God really didn't mean that, right? Because a lot of times, rebellion, it doesn't look the way that we think it does. You know, we think that it's like us screaming to God, God, we hate you! We don't want anything to do with you! <laughs> like those teenagers, you know, in those movies, like, like we're out of it! I'm, I'm getting out of here! You're like, you're never gonna see me again! You know, like, this is my boyfriend, and you know, we're gonna do what we want! We think like that's kind of like the rebellion that, that the Bible talks about when, it, regarding to God, and we, we think, well, I've never talked to God like that, so I guess, you know, I'm, I don't have the sin of rebellion in my life. So I'm all good. And you know, the devil is a lot sneakier than that. His temptations are subtle, they're nuanced, and he's like the serpent, serpent in the garden. He says, did God really say that you couldn't eat of that tree? Did God really say that you couldn't have this in your life? Did God really say that he doesn't want you to do this and he doesn't want you to do that, right? And he starts to rationalize and he starts to justify sin. Rebellion is anytime we lean on our flesh to justify or rationalize going against God's will and His Word. Whenever we lean on our flesh and we start to justify and we start to rationalize. Here's the thing. It starts off simple. Compromise here. Fleshliness there. And then it snowballs. And if left unchecked, we will be in full-blown walking in rebellion to God but we feel fine. We feel justified. We've, ra- we've rationalized our rebellion. So it makes sense now. Every backslidden person has experienced this. I did. when I, I went through this huge backslidden season in my life. Right? I was a Christian. I was like, I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to be a missionary. And then I backslid hard. Right? And we all kind of go through this and we get started and it starts out small like, you know, I, I, I talk to God like, God, how could this be wrong, right? It grows from the ground. It grows from the earth that you have created. What do you mean I can't smoke it, right? You know, like you start to irrationalize things like, oh, what do you mean I'm not, I'm not supposed to like, you know, see these and like date these women and, 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 and enjoy this, this freedom, right? Didn't you, aren't you all about freedom, right? It's freedom and, and, you know, and then all of a sudden your heart Starts to rationalize the things in your life, the things that you want, and you're 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 living in sin, you're living in full blown rebellion, and you don't know it because you've come to rationalize and justify the the wrong things that you do in your life. I remember, you know, like I was I was a Christian, I was going to Biola University, it's a Christian university, you know, but I started to like you know backslide, I started hanging out with the wrong people. You know, the wrong Christians at Viola. I started hanging out with the wrong Christians. And I remember one time, I was at a Thanksgiving uh, luncheon with my family, and my cousins were there. And I remember in my pocket was like a huge like bag of marijuana in my pocket, right? And I was playing basketball with my cousins. And I remember having this moment where like, like God was kind of telling me, Caleb, this is really bad. Like, like, like you are on the verge of going down a very bad path. I remember having that moment, right? 
But then I remember having this feeling like God, like, like I, I don't think I care, right? It wasn't that I didn't believe in God. It wasn't that I didn't believe in Jesus, right? My unbelief was the fact that I didn't think that I would enjoy my life if I just like continued down the path of God. And so I had this huge backsliding season in my life, but it started, and I was living in full-blown rebellion, but it started out with such like casual steps, just hanging out with just the wrong people in my school, talking to the wrong girls, going to the wrong clubs. And all of a sudden, I ended up in full-blown rebellion. I had no idea how I got there. You know, there's churches that have rationalized and justified premarital sex to the point where it's totally fine. They believe that it's just a backwards, antiquated notion that doesn't apply to our modern understanding of the Bible. But it's rebellion, right? And we were watching some TV shows and there's a pastor that's like dating and having sex with like one of the congregation and it's totally fine. I was like, how could that be? Right? That's rebellion. But then it just all started out with a simple understanding. God doesn't really mean that. Right? That's not really what God is saying. And then it goes, we go down this path where we end up in a completely rebellious position in life. And that's the scary thing about rebellion. We can be in it and not even know it until it's too late. Just like a hardened heart and just like unbelief in our hearts. So what does the Bible say that we are to do? How can we keep out of rebellion? How can we keep out of unbelief? How can we keep out of making our hearts hardened before the Lord? And I believe the answer can be found in verse 12. Let's read it. Read along with me if you have it open. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And it said, as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. That's what he says. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Meaning, as long as it's called today, what day is called today? Today. And it's tomorrow. Will it tomorrow be called today? Yes, tomorrow will be called today. And the next day will be. So any day that we can be called today, we are to seek the Lord. So every day is today. If you hear His voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. There's a lesson in this, and it's this. If you hear His voice every day, you will not harden your heart as in the rebellion. You guys get it? He's saying, as long as it is called today. That's what day is that? Every day. You seek to hear His voice. If you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So if you truly seek God and hear His voice every day, you hear, you hear Him, you seek to hear from the Lord on a daily basis, your heart will remain soft in the Lord. Because you can't seek God every day and seek to hear His voice every day and not have a tender heart for the Lord. It's only when we stop seeking to hear the voice of the Lord. That, that voice is replaced by the voice of our flesh, 
the voice of, our, of worldliness, the voice of temptation, all of a sudden our hearts are starting to change. It starts getting hard to the things of God, but soft to the fleshly and worldly and sinful things of this world. This is why God hates idolatry. What is the one thing that God hates right, in the Old Testament? It's abomination to the Lord is idolatry. That's why the first two commandments are about idolatry. Right? Don't have any other gods before. Don't make any kind of engraven images. You know, like to worship anything like that. Because our hearts are made to worship. Right? God created mankind. And the, the one thing that's really different between man and animals is that we have the ability to worship. Our hearts were designed by God to worship. If it's not God, it's going to be some other thing in this world, but we're going to be worshiping something. But our hearts are, are always on worship mode all the time. And the question is this, who is the loudest voice in your life? Has the voice of the Lord drowned out all the other sounds out there in the world, or is the voice of the flesh of the world, the voice of temptation, drowning out the voice of God in your life. If your heart is tender for the things of God, or is it tender for the things of the world? Because if it's tender to the things of the world, your heart is hardened towards the things of God. It can't be both. You know that? You can't have your heart tender to the things of God at the same time have your heart tender to the things of the world. You can't love God and love the world. It's like the Olympics. There has to be a first place. God and the world cannot get the gold medal. Right? They can't stand up there together. There has to be someone that's first. And the question is, is it God or is it the voice of the world? Is it the voice of your flesh? Is it the voice of temptation in your life? A lot of times we think we can do both. We're multitaskers. Nina's so proud that she's a multitasker. I can multitask better than you. Oh yeah, I'm a man. I have a singular mind, right? Like, I tend to, like, only be able to do one thing at a time. Excuse me, right? But as spiritual beings, we can't be multitaskers. We can't put God first at the same time put the world first. It doesn't make sense. I have this analogy. It's like a seesaw. When one goes up, the other one goes up. You can never have a seesaw that does this, right? It, it, it doesn't, doesn't work, right? And the question is, who is louder in your life? Is it the voice of the Lord? Is it the voice of the Word of God? Is it the voice of the Lord in prayer and meditation? Or is it the voice of the world? And, and, and to me, God asks me this question all the time. A lot of times, I fall short of God. I, 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 all, like God, God will ask me, like, hey, who's louder in your life? And I'll be like, oh, I'm sorry, but it's Netflix. Right? Me and me and both. There are times where we're like, oh, you know, have you seen this? Have you seen that? And we're like, oh, God, i got to get back to the Lord. And, and God rules my heart back to Him, right? I find myself in the middle of the day reading the Word of God and praying, and I'm like, oh God, I'm so sorry. But we have to, we have to realize that when our hearts are tender for the things of the world, you know what it is? It's hard towards the things of God. We have to understand this. The question is, who is louder? The better question is, who are you listening for? Who is your ear, the ear of your heart turned tuned to? When I was a young kid, I used to go to a church in a Korean American church in LA. It was the biggest Korean American church in LA. And we had the education building that was separate from the main thing. And we would have Sunday school. And after Sunday school, all the kids would come downstairs and we would go into this big, it's like a cafeteria because Korean churches have to feed their congregants. I don't know why. Huge cafeteria. 
and then um and then there was like an auditorium and then all of the adults that were at the after the adult service would be like it'd be a sea of permed hair right because you know Korean moms need their permed hair right so when visually it's impossible to pick out my mom everybody looked the same right everybody had the same perm same kind of clothes right and so but I would walk through looking for my mom but you know what I'll be able to hear her it's not that she was speaking louder than the other women right or like she stood out because she looked exactly like the next perm lady. But my ears were tuned to the voice of my mom. So I would go and I would hear her say something and I would go, oh, there she is. I'd be able to find her almost every time I could find my mom through a sea of Korean American women speaking Korean at the same time, I can spot my mom's voice because my, my ears were tuned to the, to the voice of my mom. I heard her all my life. I could pick her out, you know, like in an instant. And I want to ask you, who is the voice of your heart tuned to? Is it turned to the voice of the Lord? Because the more you seek His voice, the more tuned your heart gets to His voice. And His voice begins to drown all the other voices in the world that are trying to get your attention. But it requires that word today. I love that word. It says, today, if you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your hearts as is in the abyss. That means, not, not, Three weeks from now, not a month from now, but today. This is a call to, like, stop procrastinating. Today. If you hear this voice, now when things get less busy in your life, that's always my excuse. Oh God, I'm in the middle of school. God, it's finals week. God, I have two kids, and I, and I might be pregnant with a third. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Nah, I'm just, nah. I'm just joking. She just puked today, so that's just what I'm assuming, right? Had nothing to do with any scientific thing, you know. There's no science involved in this assumption. She just threw up today and I just got nervous, right? But I love that word today. He's like, today if you hear your voice. You know, today. Not in the future when, when you have more energy and when you have more time. Today. Let every day be today. When you seek His voice, when, the see, when you seek the voice of the Lord, you know, excuses are like belly buttons. Like, we all have one, right? But we always give excuses to God. We're like, God, I have this in my life, God. I have that in my life, God. I know you're real, but I have this unbelief that you're not enough and I have to focus on this in my life for me to be satisfied. That's unbelief, you guys. You guys know that? And, and it says unbelief is evil. You're taking away from the joy that you would have in the Lord. Let today be the day that you seek Him in the Word of God. When you seek Him in prayer, when you seek Him in meditation, when you seek Him in worship. Let today be the day, you know, when you, when you go to church. Let today be the day that you hear His voice and you step out in obedience. God is speaking to you in your workplaces. He's speaking to you to step out in faith and connect to the lost. To, to step out in excellence. To love your co-workers, to love your boss. Right. Let that day be, day be today. The one thing that would definitely cause your heart to harden is putting God off for the future. I'll get to Him one of these days. I'll read the Bible one of these days. I'll pray when things die down. But you know, this is already a sign of a heart that has been gripped by someone or something else other than God. When you say, 
adu asikar when, asikar if, asikar someday in the future, your heart has already been gripped by something other than God. You're already in idolatry. You're already in the sin of unbelief. So the Bible tells us, seek Him today. Seek Him with all your heart. Seek Him to hear His voice today. And don't let your hearts be hardened. You know, like, I, you know, I've been a pastor for almost 10 years now. I didn't, within those 10 years, I'm not a perfect man. I don't know if you guys realize. I'm a fallen man, right? And just like everybody else. There are seasons where my heart's hardened, right? And, and, and like, I don't even know it. You know who knows? My, Nina knows. Right? Nina, Nina would tell me, like, your heart's hard. You know, like, and I was like, oh, really? <laughs> I don't think so. Then I start to inquire of the Lord and I seek Lord. And you know what happens is as soon as I start to seek the Lord, He starts to like reveal things to me and start to reveal things in my heart. It's like, oh God, I'm far from you. We need those, we need those people to challenge us. And we need those challenges in our lives to really take a, take a raw and like unadulterated look at our hearts. What is your heart really like? And there's many times in my life where my heart was hard. I'm preaching like this. I go home, my heart is hard, right? But then, you know, God is always faithful. As long as you seek Him, right? You know, seeking God isn't like getting yourself all cleaned up. It's not like you're going on a date. What do you do when you go on a date? Single people, right? Take a shower, first of all. Get all prettied up and dolled up. You know, Melvin, when he goes on, he just puts on his nicest clothes and his nice, like, shoes with no socks, you know? And he gets all, he, he wears these really fancy shoes with no socks. Looks really cool. And then you get all cleaned up and then you, and then you, you, you put on your nicest, you know, like, put cologne all over yourself and, you know, like, you pick your nose hairs, do all that stuff. You get all cleaned up and then you go and you present yourself to your date. We think that's what turning to God is supposed to be like. You know that? We think like, oh, I have to seek, you haven't been seeking God in a while and you think seeking God is you gotta get all right, perfect, righteous, you know, like, haven't seen, sinned in two weeks. You know, you, you know, you think like that, like, oh, I haven't done anything bad in two weeks. I think I'm clean enough to, like, oppose the Lord. No. Whatever the situation your life is in right now, you can seek the Lord. All you have to do is just say, God, I need you. And you tear down all of that pretense and you realize, God, I'm sinful. That's called repentance. Right? You're like, God, like, Jesus died for your sins. He didn't expect you to, like, bring it all up and, like, you know, hand it to him. No. He already died for your sins. You just have to turn to Him and say, God, I need you. Open my heart. And there's been so many moments in my in my life where I would just be all like, you know, just lethargic and just, I'm just like, you know, like in this bad, you know, like funk and then and Nina would just say something, you know. Like she never does it in this like mean way. She says it in such a loving way. She's like, oh, I think your heart's a little hard. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. And I go to God and I'm like, God's like, yeah, it is. And then He opens that heart and then you seek Him just that little bit. And God will start to open it more. Right? He just needs, He just needs your initial step. That's all He needs from you. He doesn't need you to put on a tie. He doesn't need you to put on a dress. He doesn't need you to take a shower. You, you, you can clean yourself up all you want. There's nothing you can do to make yourself righteous. He just needs to just say, God, I just, I just need you right now. And you open your heart. And then God comes in and He does what He does. Right? And you have, you realize you're never going to be perfect before the Lord. But I love that word where he says, today, today, if you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your heart like as in the dying. God is speaking to you right now. 
And you just have to say, God, I just need you right now. And he'll come and he'll speak to you. And instead of hardening your heart, you start to just open your heart a little bit. And God, I need, I need you to help me change my life. And God comes in and he starts to speak with you and speak to you. He starts to point things out in the word of God. All of a sudden, you know, you're like, you, you feel this transformation in your heart. So I want to encourage you guys today. The word is today. Today, if you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your heart as in the days of rebellion. Today, if you hear his voice, open your heart to him. Just a little bit. You don't have to go and like read the Bible and, and do all that and you know, like, you know, go and memorize five Bible verses and then go speak to God. No, you just, as you are, just say, God, I just need you a little bit. I just need you right now in my life. And, and open your heart and he will be there. He will come in. And he will do what he always comes to do is to, to transform you, to redeem you, to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. If you confess with your mouth, you know, he's faithful and he's just and he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He is there for you. He is there for us. He's constantly speaking to us. We just have to open our hearts and say, God, I need you now. I will not harden my heart towards you. Lord, help my heart to be tender before you. Let's all stand up and let's close with prayer.